All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 15, verse 58. Uh, this is one of my life verses, and one of the verses I go to when I feel like I'm really struggling. Let me read it to you. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And the reason why I wanted to start with this is that planning a church is a hard endeavor. It is difficult. Uh, it is very worthwhile. It is life-changing. But man, it takes a lot out of you. One of my mentors always says that planning a church is like aging in dog years. Like every year accounts for three. And it's true. It is tough. You are carrying a burden sometimes that nobody else will understand. In fact, nobody else can understand it unless you're in the trenches. Um, they just see that you're just kind of just doing your thing and you're enjoying ministry. But at the same time, many times there are burdens that you're carrying that you can't necessarily even share with anybody. Not even your wife will really understand the same kind of pressure that you're feeling. And some of the reasons for this is that planning a church is a lot like going to the moon. It is. It takes a long time to get there. And when you get there, it's different than what you expect. You have no idea what it's going to be like. Uh, have you ever watched some of that grainy Zapruder-like film of the first guys going to the moon? You know, one of the things that always stands out to me is just the size of the tires on those lunar rovers. Have you guys ever seen that? It looks like they're like, they're like about the size of a, a monster truck, right? They're just these massive tires. And the reason why they were so big is because scientists theorized that the lunar surface was going to be so thick with dust that anything that they put out there would sink to the bottom. They thought it was going to be close to 10 feet of dust because of what they were projecting uh, to be the age of the moon. And when they got there, it was really, really different. It was actually only a quarter of an inch. And so they had these massive like rovers ready to go when they got there it was completely different and church planning is a lot like that and so today as we talk about church planning in the first five years of planning a church I just want to just kind of put some things out there number one every context that you're going to plant a church in is going to be radically different than any other church plant uh, it'll be different even if you're planning in the same community uh, than the guy who planted a church two years before it uh, one of the things that uh, one of the guys who went before me that, that had planted in our community told me that was so valuable. He said, listen, as you're looking for locations and as you're looking to plant, just know this. What worked for me will not work for you. There are places that are closed uh, to you right now that were open to me, but there's places that were closed to me that are, will be open to you. The thing will change. The people that live in the community will change. Um, even in the city, like it's so cool for me to come and spend time with my other x on guys because... Their communities that they're reaching are so different than mine. Like Jeremy's church is so different than Green Hill's church. Even though we're like only several miles away, the kind of people that come to his church are really different than the kind that come to mine. Like most of our people don't have tattoos. Like if I got one, people would be like, dude, you're like, you're like East Nashville. Like where we are in West End, like people just don't, don't wear as much uh, black as, as they do here at the Axis, right? <laughs> we have some people with beards, but man, they're like, the different kind of beard. It's not the big, full, bushy beard, right? Uh, our hipster's like a little different kind of hipster than you have here, okay? We still have hipsters, but they're just a little different. Uh, Josh, man, you can wear camo at his church. Nobody will blink. 
Like, in fact, they'll be like, oh, that's normal. You wear camo to church. Our church, man, they're going to look at you like you're like from the moon, right? So even in our own city, it's just different. And so one of the things as I was praying about talking to you this morning was to give you guys some skills that are translatable, that aren't just like contextual, like, hey, this is how I did my thing. This is what God did at Green Hills Church. Uh, and hopefully uh, some of the stories I will tell will help you uh, probably at least have some comfort in the fact that, man, if Mike could do it, that you could do it. But uh, there will be some things that will be radically different in your community. Um, but I want to say this, just as an encouragement. God can use anybody. I'm serious. Like, God can use anybody. In fact, God likes to use people who are weak. That's what, that's what the scriptures tell us. He likes to use things that the world says, man, that's not necessarily my, my A-lister. But God uses people who are broken, flawed people for his glory. It's so funny to me uh, when I run into guys that I went to college with or even to seminary with, uh, but particularly college. Like, they're surprised that I was... I've become a pastor. In fact, I went to a wedding up in Minnesota where I went to undergrad, and my wife didn't know anybody that I went to school with. She's never been to Minnesota, and so we were on this boat for a wedding, which is actually a great idea for a wedding party. You know, like you have the 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 wedding, and then you have the reception on this boat, and nobody can leave. You know, that's like an awkward thing, right? Like everybody like gets some food and they just bail. And so in this case, everybody's like a captive audience. They have to kind of be together, and so we were on this boat. And my wife was. Uh, stuck in the back, uh, not in the front with me at the head table. She was in the back with a bunch of strangers. And they found out that she, she was my wife. And they started laughing when they heard that I was a pastor. They're like, no way. Mike Carter became a pastor. That's insane. And it's interesting to me just to see what God can do through people who are just willing just to go. And so for you, wherever you are, God wants to use you. He really does. God wants to use you and use your talents, your skills, and who you are for his glory. And so today, as we're looking at at church planning, what God put on my heart was to teach you guys some of the things that have worked for me when it comes to problem solving. Problem solving. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, here's one thing I know about church planning. Uh, your church is broken. Bill Hybels says that most churches, and his church is a big church, uh, operate with major parts of their their organization and their church uh, in disrepair. In fact, he said it's close to 5% of your church will always be broken. You just got to just be used to that, okay? As a church planner, I'm just going to tell you that that's pretty low, okay? For most of us, it's probably over 25% of our church is broken. And part of the problem is that we're like in the middle of building something while we're trying to actually minister, okay? So it's like flying an airplane while you're building it. You're like, oh crap, I gotta make sure I got the wings attached, okay? So for many of us, while we're like planning a church, we're like bringing the gospel to bear on people's lives. At the same time, we're trying to put together just the, fra- the fabric and the framework to actually make it even stick. And so for many of us, We're really trying to figure out how to fix problems at the same time as we're actually making them. So for us, as we're looking at 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 being a church that's really going to make a difference in the community, we got to become really, really good at problem solving. So here's five things that I've really found that really have helped me over the years in problem solving. First one is to ask God what he wants me to do. And this one seems to be really basic, but honestly, I found that uh, as a pastor, my default sometimes is just to go fix things. I think maybe it's because I'm a guy. Like, I like to just fix things. You tell me a problem, I'm going to try to find a solution. Uh, but what I found uh, as, uh, as being a pastor, I don't necessarily have that luxury just to go fix things on my own or with my own wisdom. 
I'm an under-shepherd. This is God's church. And I need to remember that God loves my church more than I do. I need to remember that he cares about my church more than I could possibly care for it. I need to realize that it's really his church and not mine. And that I'm only really there for a short time, even if it's for the next 50 years, that I'm really going to just be here for just a blink of an eye. I'm really not going to be here that long. And if I'm able to just let God really lead his church, he's going to take us to places that we never thought we could ever go to. He's got things on his radar screen that aren't even on mine. And so one of the things I've had to learn is to really say, Jesus, this is really your church. It's not mine. I'm really going to need to take my hands off of this thing because I want to be obedient. It's not just bringing this vision of what Mike wants to see happen, where I have a bunch of people listening to me and telling me that I'm great and that my, my leadership's awesome and my message was awesome, but rather I want Jesus to really be the one who's central in our church. And there is no better way to do this than just to really say, Jesus, whenever a problem comes up, what do you want to do through this? What do you want to teach me about myself? What are you teaching me about who you are? And what do you want our church to know about what you want from us? And so the thing that I really try to do when a problem is presented is to get alone with the Lord and say, God, listen, if you don't show up, I don't know what we're going to (laughs) do. God, man, we got nobody else other than you. God, what do you desire from me? Where do you want this to go? I'm going to try to do the best that I can to figure out what it is that you want. But man, you just need to know on the front end that this is yours and you need to lead me because if I'm going to figure this out on my own, it's probably going to be wrong. And part of that has really flowed into our life as a community uh, through the locations that we've met at. And so I just want to tell you guys a little bit of our story. Uh, We parachuted in. So when Jeremy was telling us last night about parachuting into a community. Uh, That's what we did. I resonated with that. Sorry, Shane. Shane's got this, if you guys haven't heard this, this is like a little like inside joke around here. Shane thinks he's copyrighted the word resonate. So anytime you say that word, he thinks you owe him five bucks. Okay. (laughs) It's 20 bucks. Okay. So, so here's, (laughs) yeah. So for us, as we, as we, as we uh, moved to town, Man, it was like me, my buddy Brad, and his wife, and my girlfriend at the time. Like, we weren't even engaged. We moved here, and we said, man, we want to plant this church because we feel like God wants us to be a people that reach Nashville and the world. We want to be a place that calls people back to God. And so when we moved here, we really didn't know anybody. We had some people that kind of moved to Nashville from Memphis where we were because there's like this natural migration of people that leave Memphis and move to Nashville. So we knew a couple people. We knew some people that were friends of ours that were in the community. But we had nobody who was saying, hey, listen, Nashville needs another church. Come be our pastor. Come join us. Like there was none of that going on. It was a calling that God had put on our heart to come. And so when we came, we really didn't have anything other than just a dream. Uh, we had raised some money, but we were like, man, we don't, we don't even know where we're going to be. So we called our church Green Hills Church, hoping that that would be the community that God was going to call us to. But here's the thing. We've never really met in Green Hills, okay? <laughs> like, we thought Green Hills is a lot bigger than what it really is. We found out Green Hills is like this really small part of town, but we've never really been in Green Hills. Like, we've been <laughs> everywhere else, 12 South, Vandy. We've been down in, in, in uh, by... By, by Harding, we've been like all around it, but we've never really, really been in Green Hills. Okay, so when people ask us, they're like, so where in Green Hills are you guys? I'm like, yeah, it's awkward. We've really never been there. Um, just saying, just be careful when you name your church, you know? <laughs> 
So, uh, but I will say this, it's great for Google. Like when people look for a church in Green Hills, we're number one every time, okay? <laughs> so uh, we've got a lot of people over the years because of that. They're like churches near Green Hills, boom, us. So, uh, so anyway, so as we, as we planted, we didn't have anywhere to be. In fact, people kept on asking us, like, what's your church like? Where is it? Like, what does it, what does the building look like? And we kept on telling people, man, we're not a building. We're a people. Like, we, we aren't a building. A building's a great tool, but God has not blessed us with that. We're really going to try to just share the gospel and see God transform people's lives. And that's what we've got. And so we started praying that God would give us a place to meet. And it's interesting, God opened doors to us every single time when we needed a new place. He gave us something far greater and, and even more creative than we could have thought. Obviously, our creativity wasn't very high. We called ourselves Green Hills Church. We didn't call ourselves like a Greek word or any kind of like really trendy, you know, like direction, you know, like elevation or anything like that. We, we just called ourselves the community that we wanted to be in. And so uh, the first place we met at was uh, the Frothy Monkey Coffee Shop. We ended up just going in one day. We, we had stopped in there. My girlfriend and I had stopped in because we needed to use the bathroom, and we just knew of this place because we had stopped in there one day when I had been looking for a place to live. And uh, me and my buddy Brad, we showed up and just said, hey, listen, we would love to be able to meet here on Sunday nights as we were trying to gather up our core. And it was interesting how God had gone before us. The Frothy today is this like powerhouse of a coffee shop. It's like the gold standard here in Nashville. But when we came and approached them, they were actually struggling. They were even thinking about maybe going out of business. They were cutting back their hours. They stopped meeting on, uh, being open on Sunday nights uh, because they couldn't afford to pay their staff. And so we approached them the same day that they had decided to cut back their hours on Sundays and said, hey, could we rent the whole place out? And they said, absolutely. We would love to do that. And so we met in like this incredible space for five months because God had kind of said, this is going to be the place that I want you to be. And actually, we got uh, like press coverage because of it. Like we got a, like a big color picture in the Tennessean because we were actually meeting in this coffee house. It was incredible. Like God actually was like giving us favor in the community because we were just being willing to go where he wanted us to be. But over time, that kind of like uh, became too small of a space. There was no space for us to have kids ministry. There was, I mean, it, really, if we were going to do kids ministry, it was going to be in the parking lot with the homeless dudes, right? So we were like, okay, this isn't going to work for us. We want to be a Sunday morning uh, worship gathering. And so uh, we started praying about where God wanted us to be. And I'm going to tell you, that was one of the most difficult seasons for us as a plant because we couldn't find any place to meet. Like we literally walked into 47 locations and asked them if we could rent their space and we got 47 no's. Some of the people strung us along for a long period of time. They actually like, like said, well, maybe. And we kind of like started getting our hopes up. And then they would tell us, no, I remember uh, one of the facilities right in Green Hills, right next to the mall, actually shared a parking lot with them. We thought it was perfect. Like God was in this. They told me on Christmas Eve that they could not host us. They would not let us be in their space. And so there was like this air of desperation that started just creeping up within us. And then God provided a high school for us to meet in. And let me just tell you, that was incredible. God was all over that. During that time that we met there, it was about a year and a half, God brought some incredible parts of our church to us, some incredible core members to our church. But man, let me tell you, meeting in a school for some people is like awesome, and it's like the ideal location. It was hard for us. Man, we'd show up some days, 
And, on the, and we didn't have a good relationship with the art department. The guy didn't want us there in their auditorium. And we'd show up, and there would be like full sets. Like it was like uh, the, the sound of music was going on. And literally, there was like hills like all over the stage. We had to like take pictures and move it away so we could actually like set up our stuff. Uh, sometimes like there were rats in the places that we were trying to like brew coffee. Like it was like hard to be in there. And honestly, in a 300-seat auditorium, we had about... 30 people in that room, okay? So it was like meeting in a huge cave. Sometimes the power would be off. Sometimes the heat would be off. One time in, in the middle of February, one of the coldest days here in Nashville, there was no heat. We wore our coats, man. It was like the shortest service we ever had because we were all freezing to death. Like our, we could see our breath in the auditorium. And in the middle of that, God used that time to bring us some of our best people, some staffers, some elders. Like God brought us some awesome people while we were there. But I would say this, if you're planting, make sure, make sure that you don't have too big of a space. There's nothing that will kill momentum faster than feeling a a sense of failure because your building is too big, okay? Sometimes you need to actually be in a place where it just feels hotter, where you actually can celebrate the people that are there. And so we ended up uh, being asked to leave the school. There was a new principal that came in. He was not a friend to us. And we uh, started the search again. And honestly, guys, I was so scared because we had looked at 47 places, got 47 no's, and I thought we were going to be going through a, a huge exercise in futility. And then God really, really moved. This time, we didn't even have to wait. Like God opened an incredible opportunity for us. We, we were praying that God would lead us to the right space. My wife and I, we went to dinner at a, a bar here in town. It's like a, like a well-known restaurant bar called Cabana. Uh, it's a place where like Taylor Swift goes out and parties. John Mayer's in town. They go hang out there. And we just went to eat there because they had two-for-one pizzas on Monday nights. We love pizza. We were like, hey, let's just go, go check this out. And I remember my wife saying this. She said, listen, I think this would be a great place for church to meet. And I was like, are you serious? Like, there's a 40-foot bar. Like, I mean, this is before we were Acts 29. So, like, I mean, alcohol was like one of those things like on the fence a little bit. Like, we were like, is that cool or not, you know? And, and we just said... Okay, let's, let's just talk to the owner. So I called the owner up, and let me tell you, like this is like one of the premier uh, establishments here in Nashville. I said, hey, listen, you don't know me, but I feel like God wants us to plant a church here in town, and would you rent me your space? And he said, yes, I think God's in this, which was amazing Like that a, a bar owner would say, yeah, God is in this. I think God wants me to do this. He said, man, I've had other people approach me, but you know, I feel like God wants me to let you have this space. And I found that if God's in this, if God's moving in someone's heart, there's nothing you can do to talk them out of helping you. If God isn't in it, right? If God isn't in it, they're not going to want to help you no matter what you say. So sometimes you have to just look to see who God is bringing to you and having to be part of your story and then don't sweat the rest of it. And so for four years, we met at Cabana. We set up and tore down every week. Uh, We were a church in a bar. Again, the news came and did a peace on us. They're like, dude, these people are in cabana. Like, that's crazy. And God was glorified by our obedience. It was incredible. But we ran out of space at cabana. And I think our time started uh, to to run low there, even with our volunteers. And personally, it was taking a huge toll on me. Um, I actually got hurt physically many times, just like setting up and tearing down. And I told the Lord, I I remember going to the Lord, um, and, and spending some time with him at the river right by my house and just saying, God, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I, I'm, really, I'm really struggling. 
And I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. But I can't set up and tear down anymore. I'd been doing it for five years before this. The last church I helped plant in Memphis. And I was just beat. Like emotionally, physically. I was like, man, I just can't, can't go any farther. And the other thing that was like this elephant in the room is that we had a bunch of kids that started uh, just being grown organically in our church. But what I mean by that is that we actually didn't have a children's ministry at all. We were like running 150 people, had like one kid coming. Like it was like a really weird phenomenon. Most of our people were really, really young uh, or they were late bloomers like in their, in their like lives, like they were in their mid-30s before they had their first child. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, like everybody started having babies. In fact, I started warning people not to drink the water. I was like, seriously, you guys got to quit. Like this is crazy because we don't have any space for your kids. And we were like, like pipe and draping off the front bar so they wouldn't see like all this alcohol around their children when they would come in and drop their kids off. Like when people would come for the first time, they'd be like, man, we like your church. We like the, the, the music. We like the teaching. But man, it's freaking me out that there's like a huge bar right where I'm dropping my kids off, right? And so we were at this place where we were worried about losing some of our best and brightest because they were just like having kids, and I was like, God, I don't know what we can do. Like, we know that we've outgrown Cabana. We don't have any more space. Like, literally, I'd be preaching, and there'd be people sitting right here, and I'd be spitting on them the whole time, like, as I was preaching the gospel. And we didn't have any money. We didn't have anything that we could do. And so God actually moved. And I, I walked away from that time in the river, and I just felt like God just saying, listen, Mike, I'm going to bring something to you. I didn't really know what to do with that. I thought maybe I was just, like, hallucinating. But I felt like God said, I'm going to bring something to you. So I started putting together a plan. I said, I'm going to get some guys together, a team together to go find out this place. Because obviously, I'm not going to be the one that's going to find it this time. Someone's going to bring it to me. So it's probably going to be one of the guys in my church. I started training them up to lead. It's interesting, as I put them in place, those guys actually ended up becoming some of our elders as they started stepping up in these roles. And I found that these dudes um, didn't find it either. (laughs) They didn't. But God was still moving. There was actually a church that was shutting down right in our community. And they said, listen, we want to see a gospel presence in the community. And they gave us their building. They called us up out of the blue and just said, listen, man, we'd love to give you the space. And God is bigger. It's his church. And you need to remember that. Um, secondly, uh, when it comes to decision making, is that you need to be willing to get rid of emotion. Listen, this is one of the hardest ones for me. Um, I like to tell myself that I have very few emotions. And what I mean by that is that I don't really know how to distinguish between emotions, right? Uh, I have emotions. Most guys do, um, but I don't know how to process them well. So like for me, usually I'm either like really cool and happy or I'm frustrated. Those are really the, the two things that I feel. Like I'm either like, oh, I can't figure out like why I want to pull my hair out and kill everybody. Or I'm like, I'm totally fine, right? And so when a problem comes to me, many times it's just like this, this thing that just I either feel like I just know that something's wrong or something just gets dropped in my lap by somebody and I start just processing it through either like complete uh, not feeling like this is a big deal or I just get incredibly, incredibly frustrated with everybody. And I found that, that when I walk in that frustration, I really make bad decisions. All I can see are the problems. All I can see are the, the issues that I can't seem to overcome. And so I've had to learn to really take the time to actually process that before I make any decisions and just say, listen, man, I'm going to have to like bring this to the Lord, trust God with this, and not operate out of my frustration. Um, because really what that is, is is an idol of comfort 
like that I don't have to be bothered with having to figure this out. Uh, it's, a, it's a comfort of, of affirmation that if I make the wrong decision, people aren't going to like me. It's a comfort of power. I feel like I'm powerless. I can't control my destiny, and so I get angry. And I find that all of these are really, are really expressed sometimes by people that I feel are just like in the way of what I want, to be satisfied in the thing that, I, that I'm doing. And so I need to let that go. Um, and one of the things that actually is manifested the most, uh, that brings us up the most and inflames us the most in my life is when people leave. Um, that's always a really emotional deal. Um, I remember early on in our church, uh, there was a very influential couple that left, and it hurt me. Uh, it hurt me because I thought that they, they really liked me, 